today's uh, second half in a, in a two-part series that's really part of a larger part series called Human. I love the title. I love the graphic. And the question really is asking the question, what does it mean to be human? And to answer that question, we've been looking at the most read book in history, the Bible. And there we saw last week that what it means to be human really is this whole idea of the image of God. So we've been exploring that. And last week, what we saw is that, that God creates uh, the world, and he's a God of work. And then as the climax of his creation, he creates human beings in his own image. And what we walked away with last week was this incredibly robust, beautiful vision of work. You know, that the Bible has this idea that work is a good thing. Yes, it has fallen under the curse, but it itself is not a curse. Work is actually a very good gift from God. So that's where we went last week. Uh, but if we stopped right there, we actually only have half the story. Some of you are noticing that God not only works, but on the seventh day, he rests. And so today, what I want to do is I want to pick it back up, and I want to look at what it means for rest to be part of our humanity, what it means that we were also meant to rest as a reflection of being in the image of God. So we're going to take a look at this whole thing of rest, and of course, in particular, we're going to look at what the Bible says about Sabbath. You know, Sabbath just means stopped, okay? That's, that's a fancy word for stopped. God stopped, all right? And so we're going to look at what it means for us to stop, to rest. So as I said, um, we looked at Genesis 1 last week, and God, after he creates this teeming world of life, he stops. And after creating humanity, it says this, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done. Here's this beautiful picture. You know, as God is creating every day, God stops at the end of his day. And it says, and God, God said that it was good. But at the end of his work, God stops and sees that it's very good. And then we have this amazing thing. You know, seven days, uh, on the seventh day, God finally stops. We had all these amazing verbs we talked about last week that God is doing right. And it's a lot of work. There's a lot of racket. But suddenly there's just silence. There's quiet. You know, this atmosphere of just peace enters. There's no noise, no speaking. And all that God willed and designed is finally spread out and the universe is in place, and God's work has come to completion, and God rests. And so why does God rest? Why does God stop? Well, we know it's not because God is exhausted, right? God's not spent. Isaiah 40, 28 says, the Lord does not grow weary. The reason that God stops, which is beautiful, is for benediction. He stops for a blessing. He stops in order to basically enter into delight, the delight of his work. This is incredible. God wants to look at everything he's made and pronounce it good. And so really the Sabbath is really about delight. The God of all peace, the very source of all rest, the very center of equanimity himself displays that on that first day of rest. And God doesn't only stop. You know, it's interesting if you think about it and you look at, you know, God creates human beings on the sixth day, okay? So what would be their very first day of existence? It was a day of rest. They themselves spend their very first day of existence 
in this, entering into this delight, this joy, this peace. Imagine a peace beyond peace, this incredible moment of serenity where there's great joy and delight. It's a day in which they're just going to be together. They're, they're invited into this delight. And there they are, the king, king and queen of creation, a whole day just to be in this beautiful creation that God made, to be with each other and to be with God. Sabbath, there it is. That's the picture, right? Okay, now this is interesting because when we think of Sabbath, we immediately think about this passage that was read and we know Jesus had a showdown with the Pharisees and the Sabbath was all about these rules and we tend to actually have that same Pharisaical question. We immediately go into thinking about the Sabbath is, well, it's really people that practice it. It's a list of of rules and confinement and austerity measures and things you can't do. But the Bible's picture of Sabbath is a picture of delight and rest and joy. Abraham Joshua Heschel, the the great rabbi, said, Sabbath is the most precious present humankind has received from the treasure house of God. So what is it about us that sometimes has such a struggle to enter into this delight, this rest? Could it be that just as our work is a good gift and yet somehow as a result of the fall, we struggle with it at times? Could it be that Sabbath is also something that even though it's a great gift, somehow we struggle to receive that gift? Could that be what's going on? Well, undoubtedly, the people of Israel struggled to receive this gift, and God knew that they were going to struggle to receive this gift. And so God creates a command. It's called the fourth commandment, okay? And it's a command to keep the Sabbath. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. And here's the rationale. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that's in them, and rested on the seventh day, Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So God creates the Sabbath day. It's a beautiful thing. It's part of creation. And then God places it as a command because he knows that there's something about us and there's something about the people of Israel that's going to struggle to actually receive this. And, And so God creates this command. And what are the Ten Commandments for, by the way? There it is, number four right there. Remember the Sabbath day. Keep it like, what? What's the whole point of the Ten Commandments? If you're going to boil it all down, the whole point of the Ten Commandments is to address our tendency to trivialize God, to get some, to get some kind of false God in our mind, to create a God that we like, to make his name in vain, basically make an idol. And when we make an idol, because we are to reflect God, what we do is we dehumanize ourselves, which is commands, uh, commands uh, five through uh, ten. But the first four are really about our relationship with God and getting our relationship with God right, not to trivialize God, not to create an idol. In other words, the Ten Commandments are not oppressive and burdens. They're ways to freedom. They're ways to experience the grace and the mercy and the love of God. They're an antidote to having a trivial God and then living a trivial life because When you trivialize God and you're made in God's image, you end up dehumanizing, trivializing yourself. So here's the question. This is a cool question. Here's the question I want us to ask. What is it about the regular, rhythmic ceasing of work that acts as an antidote 
to idolatry. What is it about that? You ever thought about that? You know, in Deuteronomy chapter 8, Moses actually answers that question. He says, when you get into the promised land, and when things start working out for you, when you're in the land of milk and honey, you know, when you finally land that job, when you get your first house, when you finally graduate, you know, all the certification and you're Dr. So-and-so or whatever it is, as Moses says this, when that happens, be careful when you're fat and happy, lest you say, my power and the strength of my hand have produced this wealth for me. Be careful that you don't lift up your heart, it actually says. Lift up your heart. That's, that's worship language. You see, be careful that you don't begin to worship what it is that you're doing, what it is that you've achieved. The, 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 you know, the, basically, you know, living with the, the fat and happy state. And what he's saying is, is that work, you know, work is more than a nine to five. Work is, it involves all kinds of things. Some of you are, are called to be students right now. You're not you know, working for a paycheck. Some of you are called to be mothers. Some of you are called to, to be attorneys and therapists and all kinds of things, right? And calling is good. And knowing your calling and knowing that God has given you something to be an editor or whatever it is, and he's called you to do that thing and to work with God in that work is a beautiful thing and it's a good thing. But as we talked about last week, because our work is so close as a reflection of our status as image makers, we are tempted to begin to think, this is what defines me. This is what defines me. In other words, to use our calling as our God, a form of idolatry. And so Moses is saying, be careful that you don't forget God. And he, you know, Moses is not saying you know, that you actually think like, oh, you know, I never heard of a God or what, there is no Bible. I forgot about that. Or, you know, I forgot that there's 10 commandments. Like, it's not talking about a mental thing. Moses is saying, be careful that your work, your success at what you are doing doesn't make God irrelevant to you. How are you going to keep from making God irrelevant to you? Remember the Sabbath. Remember the Sabbath. Work is a good thing, as we saw last week. Work is something that God calls us to be fruitful, fill and form. We're meant to partner with God in our work and we're meant to do all kinds of things. And as I'm looking out, I know many of your occupations and God has called you to do those things. But the danger is really in our success. And when you start getting successful at your work, you start putting, it starts happening kind of in your gut. I've experienced it before. It becomes an inertia that starts drawing you. And suddenly it's like, it's hard to let it go. It starts driving you, you know, and of course, we have a lot of uh, help from our culture in our 24-7 culture where, you know, working 24-7 is a badge of honor. And so the fourth commandment is really God and his mercy and grace. Like someone that loves you, just saying, just, just please stop. This is not going to go well for you. Please, you've got to stop. You need to Shabbat. You need to practice the Sabbath. You need to stop. Now, there's something else going on here that is super cool, and this is going to be the nerdy part of the sermon, so I'm just warning you ahead of time, okay? There's this little expression, therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. The Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. This is just absolutely fascinating, and somebody that's interested in philosophy can't escape this, but I have to say there's something really beautiful going on here. Um, in his commentary, Victor Hamilton says, note that we don't make the Sabbath special 
by ceasing to work on it, for God makes it special. Now, when you look at what happens in the creation account, there's evening, there's morning, a first day, evening, morning, a second day, evening, morning, a third day. But when we get to the Sabbath, that's not repeated. It's almost as if time is different on that Sabbath day. It no longer has this kind of feeling of like beginning and end and utility that you have when you are working. You treat time very like a utility. You're, you're looking at your clock. You got to get this done by this time. I was talking to uh, Brian here and he was telling me like his schedule. This guy's amazing, you know, his schedule and how he stays on and, you know, and, and how he tries, okay, get this done from here and here and here. I want to learn from you, Brian. Okay. But when we get to the Sabbath, it's a very different kind of time. It's a time that God has separated from those other kinds of time. It doesn't operate the same way. And so this is really fascinating. You know, just as God separated, like the light from the dark and, the, and you know, the, the skies above and all that stuff, God is now separating time itself. And he's creating two kinds of time. There's work time and there's rest time. And this has nothing to do with us. The question isn't whether or not we're gonna make time in our schedule to observe the Sabbath, the question is whether or not we're going to go against the grain of the very nature of time which is created by God. Again, Heschel says this, the Sabbath is a realm of time where the goal is not to have, but to be. Not to, be, not to want, but to live. Not to control, but to share. Not to subdue, but to be in accord. Not all time is the same. The Sabbath gives us a certain kind of qualitative texture to time. It's a distinct kind of time. It's a time that has direction. See, the Sabbath is incredibly important. It reminds us that we are not the authors of time. As much as we like to schedule and plan and be in 15 places at once because we have technology that can make us fake that out? This is a confession, okay? But the reality is, is that the Sabbath stops us and makes us realize that we didn't create time, that not all time is the same, and that God is the creator of time, and that because of that, we need to recognize that God has not only created time, but God has directed time. See, this is one of the great gifts of the Sabbath, is the Sabbath is a culmination, a completion, a climax. And when we practice the Sabbath, we remind ourselves that time is going somewhere, that God has a beginning and an end. Walter Benjamin, uh, in his thesis on the philosophy of history, uh, talks about Western modernity's homogeneous, empty time which is this idea that time is just this monochromatic, flat, constant repetition, an endless time with no future, no, no end. It just keeps going, you know? And he's bemoaning this. He's a secular Jew, right? And, and what he's doing is he's nostalgic and he's trying to figure out how can we stop this kind of view of time in which is just this con constant, homogeneous, empty time. And, and he, then he says, you know, for the Jews, the future was never homogeneous, empty time. It was never just one day after the next where it's not going anywhere. They had Sabbath. And he's grieving this. And he's wondering how he can create that. And he tries. And if you read Walter Benjamin, um, I don't think his solution works. But um, what's interesting here, though, is that he's recognizing 
that, that there's something about time itself that we can miss. And so the Sabbath is to help us live with time itself, the time that God created, and, and, and to recognize that time has a direction. As, this, as the psalmist says, teach me to number my days that I might gain a heart of wisdom. And when we can't stop, when we don't stop for the Sabbath, what we do is we live with the illusion that we are makers of time and we end up with what Walter Benjamin calls homogeneous, empty time. Have you felt it before? I've felt it before. When you just can't stop and God is saying, please stop, please stop. The very first day of our existence as a race was a day of delight and joy and rest. One of the things that's interesting about Dante's Inferno, sorry, I just taught through it, it's on my mind all the time. I know I had Dante Inferno last week. But you know, in Dante's Inferno, it's a place in which no one can stop. You know, it's this Sisyphusian world where they're, they're one thing, they're, they're rolling stones that they have to constantly roll, and they just keep rolling. It's, it's just, no one can stop. Like, you can endure anything as long as you can know that you can stop. But the weird thing is, is there's something broken in us where we get into this kind of place that drives us inside and we don't know how to stop. And that, by the way, is a hopeless condition. As it says at the gates of hell, abandon all hope, ye who enter here. And I would say, if you don't practice the Sabbath, abandon all hope, ye who enter into a Sabbathless world. At least that's what the command is telling us. We're not the creators of time. Martin Luther used to say to his colleague, Philip Melanchthon, let Philip cease to rule the world. <laughs> Man, that's hard for us. We can acknowledge God as the creator of nature, but we want to be the creators of time. Our life is not on our own terms. Our life is to follow the God of creation who creates both space and time. And the Sabbath is a recognition that our humanity is infinite. It's not infinite. It's finite, and we need this God. I like this quote from uh, The Common Rule by Justin Early. This is this guy. This guy was a lawyer who, like, he, this guy, he was a missionary in China. He came back. He was a lawyer. He was killing it in this giant firm, and then one day he had a breakdown, and he had to restructure his life. And at the center of that restructuring so that he could, like, live and flourish, Sabbath. And he says this, None of us like our limits. Like Adam and Eve in the garden, we are not content to be like God. We want to be God. The weekly habit of Sabbath is to remind us that God is God and we are not. All right. So Sabbath is this wonderful way in which we can um, <laughs> recognize time as it exists and stop living in illusion that there's only one kind of time, the time that we believe we create. So... You know, it's really interesting when you look at the Sabbath and you look at the, the unfolding, it's a magic, ma massive arc in, in Scripture, right? And, and the commandment is actually given twice. And the first time it's given is, is in Exodus, okay? And it connects it to creation, the God of creation who created Sabbath. But the second time it's given, it's actually re-ratified by this new generation before they enter into the promised land. And in Deuteronomy 5, it's given, but it's given with a different rationale. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy. There it is. As the Lord your God commanded you, six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, 
You or your son or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, or your livestock are the sojourner who is within your gates. Everybody gets a day off. That's why I believe that we were resting on that first day. God is not going to do anything different than his commands. For you shall remember, here's the the rationale. For you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. All right, so there's a new rationale that's given to this younger generation. And the rationale is this. You didn't have a day off in Egypt for 400 years. How did that go for you? All of them were like, that was horrible. They were just merely instruments in the hands of Pharaoh. They were just simply brick builders. They were utilized. They were just simply uh, extensions of the hands of Pharaoh. Uh, you know, I mean, God bless Egypt and Egyptians, but you know, no one's ever built anything. Nobody in Egypt ever really like the, the pyramids. That was slave labor. And that was the people of Israel in some, it's to some degree. And so the point is, is like, look, you have recognized how disregarding the Sabbath ended up defacing your humanity. You're about to enter into the promised land that I'm going to give you. Don't go back into slavery, which is interesting because it means that you can become your own Pharaoh. You can be the one that's creating that drive, that incessant inability to stop. You can be the one. And of course, we get plenty of, uh, you know, we we have our own kind of Egypt, right? We we have a culture that is just generating it. It plays into that, right? So it's not just us. There's also plenty of reinforcement. You can work anywhere now. And so what ends up happening is that work starts spilling into our lives from all over the place. There's less job security these days. And so if you don't deliver, you have that kind of pressure, uh, you know, AI is coming. Is that going to mean I'm going to lose my job? There's all kinds of pressures in our culture. People are increasingly needing to take multiple jobs to make ends meet. And then American culture, by the way, is particularly bad at this. Um, okay, uh, here's how Europeans work 258 fewer hours than Americans. We, we work 19% more than Europeans. It's really shocking. You know, I lived in Holland for a long time, and they have an incredible productivity. Like, their GMP is amazing. You know, the Germans, the same thing. What's really interesting about those cultures is they don't blur work and rest. It's like they recognize the doctrine of this. They might be a more secular culture in some ways, but they recognize the nature of time as God created it better than we do. And as a result, they have far more productivity and less time. I like this, European out of the office. I'm away camping for the summer, email again in September. American out of the office. I've left the office for two hours to undergo kidney surgery, but you can reach me on my cell anytime. <laughs> it might just be that Europe's a little more Christian in their secularity than we are. So the Sabbath was meant to be a declaration of our freedom. You're free. Don't forget the Sabbath or you'll be enslaved again. Stay free. Don't become your own Pharaoh. I like what Barbara Brown Taylor says. The Sabbath was the day when Israel celebrated its freedom from compulsion. On that one day every week, they remembered that their worth lay not in their own productivity, but in God's love for them. Sabbath offered a foretaste of heaven when they would lie back in God's arms and enjoy the glory of creation for all eternity. Man, this is about rest. 
This is about freedom. This is about joy. This is about having a moment to catch your breath. And it's interesting in Exodus 23, uh, 12, when it talks about the Sabbath, it says, on the seventh day, you shall not work so that you may be refreshed. The Hebrews there is catch your breath. And there is a very, very parental care that God has here. God knows, like, I made you. I know how you function. You need rest. I mean, it's like, have you ever had that conversation with your teenagers or your children? Like, no, you, you, like, it's like a three-year-old. You, you're going to take a nap now. Oh, what? This is, no, you're torture. No, the torture is going to be what happens if you don't take a nap. And that'll be my torture. So you're taking a nap, right? You need to catch your breath. I understand you. I know how you work. I created time. I created you. I know how they pair well. That's God. You know, one of the things I love about my wife's culture is uh, she's from Mexico. They have the siesta. The whole country has a no guilt nap. Like, so we're gonna, I want to move to Mexico, really, seriously, because I love naps, right? I'm a napper. But there's something beautiful about that, that the whole culture is recognized. Right about now, you're probably going to need about a 40-minute nap. As Americans, I just oh, no, no, we got, we got to keep moving, moving, moving. We got to beat everybody. And then we're like, we're less productive. Why is that? And we're working more days. We don't have a vacation. Well, I don't know. Maybe God was right about this one. So we need to have physical rest. It's just very simple. But there's something going on here that's more than just simply the surface level, right? You see it in Jesus' showdown with the Pharisees. You know, sleep experts will tell us that it's not enough to spend eight hours of sleep. If you just slept for an hour, have somebody wake you up, then go back to sleep, then wake you up and do that eight times. What you're going to do is you're going to actually feel exhausted, even though you could say, I slept for eight hours. Maybe eight hours and eight minutes because you, you know, were up for a minute and then went back down. And the reason is, is because there's something called REM, rapid eye movement. It means that you enter into a certain kind of location of deep sleep. And that's actually where the real deep nourishing starts to begin in that REM sleep. And so what's really at the heart of the Sabbath it, yes, it involves our physical, biological world, and we need that. But there's something going on that's deeper. There's a certain kind of spiritual REM. See, the reason that we fail to keep the Sabbath is because I think it's this deeper spiritual level that the Sabbath is meant to touch. And so what happens is that we have this kind of striving that begins churning in our lives and begins driving our lives. And it begins taking you along into the undertow. And the Sabbath is meant to address not just your physical rest, but that deeper level of drive that really pushes us against the Sabbath. It's that inner Pharaoh, that inner voice of the Pharaoh that demands more bricks constantly. It's that undertow that no amount of vacationing or leisure time or self-care will heal. How do you heal the voice of the self-pharaoh. There's only one film on the Sabbath that I know of. It's called Chariots of Fire. It came out like in 81. You know, most of you people never heard of it. I'm sure I'm just dating myself right now, but it's an amazing film, okay? And it's a film about two guys, okay, that are that they're runners. And one of the guys is a Christian. And when he runs, when he's engaged in running, he just feels such joy and love. And then, the, and then, and not only that, but he really takes the Sabbath seriously, so seriously that if you watch the film, you're going to be tempted to say he's just a legalist, which he's not. 
He's actually somebody that has his priorities straight. And then he's thrown into a quandary where his 100-meter race for the Olympic level, because he got into the Olympics, for the Olympics, is scheduled on a Sunday. And he's like, I'm just not going to run it. And people go crazy in the film. Like, people are begging him. I think, like, the prince is like, you know, please run. We need, you're going to, only way we're going to win, you got to run for Scotland. And he's like, nah, it's okay. I don't need to run. <laughs> I mean, it'll throw you into, like, it'll get you sideways you watch this. Well, the second guy is a secular Jew. A Jew who knows all about the Sabbath, right? And yet he doesn't, obey the Sabbath. He doesn't care about the Sabbath. And there's this really interesting thing that he ends up running that race, you know, and he ends up winning that race, and yet it's not enough. And he has this interesting line in the movie. He says, uh, I've got 12 seconds to justify my existence. People are like, why are you always running? Why are you always training? I've got 12 seconds to justify my existence. Do you hear what's going on down here? That's the inner pharaoh. That some, sometimes a transfer takes place with our work, with our job, with our career, with our calling, where suddenly this is what defines me. This is what matters. The Sabbath is a critical, critical subject throughout Scripture. It starts off in Genesis and creation. When they're in the wilderness, God says, I want you to start practicing the Sabbath. You know, you need to start getting ready for the promised land. They get in the promised land. You need to, there's a command, you need to practice it every seven days. And then it goes on. There were seven festivals. There were Sabbath festivals. They were to practice throughout the years to anticipate God's promised final rest. And then every seven years, another Sabbath, they were to have an annual Sabbath where they let the land rest. So those people that were poor, that didn't have anything, they could, they could have some kind of resource and they could have, they could have a break. The land could, could rest. And all this built up finally into the seventh year of the, the seventh set of the seventh year, which was the ultimate Sabbath, the year of Jubilee, it was the year of our Lord's favor. Do you see that all these Sabbaths were tying up, like, almost like this, this snowball that just builds, looking forward to this final absolute rest, the ultimate Sabbath, the Sabbath of all Sabbaths, pointing to that hope that one day God would provide his people absolute and total rest, complete spiritual rem. And this brings us right into our text today. You know, Jesus, you can hear, he's like having a showdown with these Pharisees. There's two different episodes. One is where he's going to eat, uh, they're picking grain, right, and eating it. And Jesus says, well, what did, what did David do? He seemed to not be so worked up about all these layers of rules you've created. And maybe the son of David is here. Maybe someone greater than David, the one that we were hoping is here. And then there's the showdown where he's in there and he's going to heal this man who's got a withered hand. And the Pharisees are like, and by the way, the, by the, breaking the Sabbath was a serious offense. They know they could get Jesus in hot water. But you know, Jesus is just incensed. And he's like, so what is it? Is it okay to heal on the Sabbath? What do you think? And Jesus is angry. He's so frustrated. He's like, your heart is so hard. And then, and then it's like, he's like, that's what I thought. He heals, like, in your face. <laughs> Why is Jesus so incensed? Why is Jesus so upset? Why does Jesus take it so personal? 
I mean, it's not because, I mean, Jesus doesn't like legalism. Yeah, there was 39 laws, the halakha, and there's subdivisions within that. And, you know, yeah, Jesus is angry at the Pharisees because they're, they're missing the point. You've abrogated the word of God for all of your laws. But what he's saying here is that you're missing the forest from the trees. What he's saying here is that, is that it's not that I'm a rule breaker. You know, I'm a rebel without a cause. We like that reading. We're Americans. Jesus is saying, you're missing the very embodiment of the Sabbath. You're missing what the Sabbath pointed to, the only one that can deal with that deeper inner turmoil. I've come so that you can ultimately and totally and finally find rest for your souls. It's me. The Sabbath points to me, and I take the Sabbath personally because it's my name. I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. When Jesus says he's Lord of the Sabbath, he's not saying, I'm, he's not saying ah, I, I, he, I reject the Sabbath. He says, I'm more of the Sabbath. I am the Sabbath. The very rest that you need. You know, when Jesus started his ministry, he said, this is the year of the Lord's favor. He read that. In other words, Jubilee is here, starting now with me. Matthew 18, Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. The Lord of the Sabbath wants to give us rest. You know, there's this passage in Hebrews 4. The writer's talking about the gospel and what it means to believe in Jesus. And he says, there remains a rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters his rest through the gospel, rests from his work, just as God rested from his work. Now, this is an amazing statement. What's it saying? It's saying that when you become a Christian, it means that the final and ultimate voice underneath kills your inner Pharaoh. You know, this amazing passage in Zephaniah where it says that the Lord your God will sing over you. How is it possible for God to look at us and see us as so beautiful and sing over us such that we don't have to do anything, but we're just sung over? And it's because of what Jesus came to do. He came to be our rest. He came to live the life we should have lived and die the death we should have died. You know, when he said, it is finished on the cross, he's saying, I've done it. I've lived the perfect life of absolute achievement that you could never live. I've done everything to make you absolutely beautiful in my Father's sight. And I want you to enter into that. And maybe you're saying like, man, I, I haven't entered in that. You know what? You can. You know, the whole Christian life really is about entering more deeply into that rest we have because of Jesus, the one who has finished everything. There is a, there is a rest that remains for us when we enter into the rest that Jesus has accomplished. Amen. So I want to I want to just give a three three this is the last thing but I just want to talk really practically what does this really mean keeping the sabbath what does it mean okay what does it look like all right it's hard it's hard because we're broken people it's because we want to believe we make time it's because we create this kind of identity thing with who we are but three things that the sabbath is about what it means to keep the sabbath first it's about worship okay it's a sabbath unto the lord all right so there should be one day 
where you focus. It's a day where, you know, my primary focus of the day is about worshiping God. So you wake up, if it's a Sunday, okay? I work on Sunday, okay? I need to have a different day. I need to make sure that when I start that, that Sabbath, usually it's like starts with bike rides, but it needs to start off with some worship. It's a day in which, God, I want to fellowship with you today, all right? So it's a day of worship, and I've kind of talked about that. It says in Hebrews 10, 25, do not neglect meeting together as the habit of some, but encourage one another and all the more as you see the day draw near. Why do we meet together? Because we need to be refreshed in the gospel weekly. We need to remember that who we are, the most important thing that can be said about us is what was said on the cross. It is finished. You are absolutely, completely accepted because of Christ's work. And so it starts there with worship. But it also is a day of service. You know, there's a whole other sermon in here, but I, I don't know if you notice, but it's not just that you get to take a rest, but you take a rest so that other people can rest. Isn't that interesting? And there's this idea that, you know, that the Sabbath is meant to be a day in which it's not just about ourselves, you know? It's a day in which other people are healed. Jesus was healing on the Sabbath. Jesus was doing good deeds on the Sabbath. And so it's also, it's also a, a, a day to serve, to think about those who are poor outside, those who, you know, have no other resource to the land like they did in, in um, Leviticus. And then finally, it's a day of play. It's a day of play. There's three simple things. This is what Sabbath is about. So I thought I better leave a practical note. You know, it's a day of play. Um, why? So we don't take ourselves too seriously. We're just creatures, right? We're just people that put our, our pants on one leg at a time. We're people that are needy. We're people that have a robust emotional life. We have all different kinds of things going on in our lives. And, and play is a way in which we can enter in like children. I mean, one of the great things about children, I have a whole sermon on 11 maxims on holy leisure, and you can go listen to that if you want more. But but one of the great things about children is they're, they're just always jonesing to play. Like children are like, they're ready to play. They're just looking for an escape to play. Why? Because they just don't take themselves too seriously. You know, they have this kind of ability to take, just, just go for it. And uh, God says, you're my child. I love you. I did everything you need. Will you please enter to my rest? And will you just stop? Please stop. Please rest. If you're too busy to worship and to serve and to play, you're probably too busy. May God give us grace to enter into his Sabbath. Let's pray. Lord, we come weak. We come as your people who need you to speak into the inner caverns of our hearts and remind us afresh that we're your children, that you have done everything through Jesus so that we can be absolutely and totally accepted and that there is nothing that we can do, Lord, that can make us more lovely and more acceptable. It's all been done on the cross. We ask that we will be a Sabbath people, that when we work, that we will work with you as our partner, doing good and bringing beauty and flourishing in this world. But when we rest, Lord, that we won't just simply take time off, but Lord, that we will find the true source of rest, Jesus, you ourself, who is the very Lord of the Sabbath, our Sabbath rest. And it's in your precious name we pray.